tuned into localjobnetwork.com radio and you're listening to the LGN Radio Quad, where our radio hosts gather to share their thoughts, ideas, and perspectives on all topics employment related. I'm Lynn Molitor, and joining me in the quad today is Jacqueline Peterson. Hello. Tim Muma. Hey, everybody. And Laura McBain. Hi. So the quad resumes this week after Jacqueline and I took LGN Radio on the road last week to Indianapolis, Indiana, which leads us to our first topic today, which Jacqueline will introduce. Yeah, so we had just gotten back, as Lynn mentioned, from a week-long conference, and I wanted to know what sort of tips that you have as not only employees, but managers, uh, leaders in our organization on making the best of your conference as far as whatever you're there to do, whether it's there to network, get leads, but then also to manage the work of your typical job so that things continue moving forward. And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts and perspectives on what you do to make that happen. I think a lot of it is staying up later at night and getting up (laughs) earlier in the morning to make sure you're checking emails and things like that. And, of course, everybody's got the smartphone. So, I mean, it's it's easy to stay connected at work during the conference as long as you're not being disruptive. Say you're in a session and there's always that person that's, you know, answering a phone call and starting to talk before they leave the room and kind of annoying everybody. But uh, so as long as you're being respectful and not really openly obvious about what you're doing. I think it's easy enough to stay connected and just excuse yourself from the room and sit in an appropriate way, too, so that, you know, if you know you're going to be possibly having to leave, sit near the door or in the back of the room. So you're not <laughs> Don't sit in the front where the speaker can <laughs> yeah, see you. I know. I know. <laughs> oh, I think you bring up a valid point because one thing that that I guess at first blush, what I think when people go to conferences, or maybe I've seen this, is it's kind of like, oh, it's my vacation. It's my time yeah. to get away. But I think you bring up a really valid point that it's really not that. You're actually probably going to be working more mm-hmm. than you would during oh, your typical absolutely. week because you are trying to balance the two. So it's not necessarily a vacation and a time to kind of get away from right. your normal job. Actually, one of the sessions Speakers did make that comment like, oh, well, when you go to these conferences, you know, you're on vacation. I was like, "Mm." (laughs) right. Yeah. I actually find them very long days in and of themselves without worrying about what's going Mm -hmm. on back in the office. I mean, the elapsed time of the conference that you and I attended last week, I mean— it started at six and six thirty in the morning. Although I didn't for breakfast and yeah. stuff, which I didn't go and at six thirty. Right? Yeah, but I was <laughs> there at seven, and um, we were getting back to our room um, after ten once the conference was over, yeah. and then we were um, out to days. dinner. So it is a long day. I like to kind of set expectations back in the office saying, you know, I am going to be working all day. So, mm-hmm. you know, my my accessibility is limited. It has to be for, you know, for urgent matters. And I also try to encourage my team to take a little independence um, right. while I'm gone to kind of test it out. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm still connected. Yeah. I think what a lot of people run into, you know, maybe if they don't do some everyday work when they're at the conference is when they come back. They're overloaded with things. They're overwhelmed. And I think it's just all about having that a little bit of a game plan. Okay, here are the things I can work on at the conference. This stuff will have to wait till I get back. Maybe you take that. Maybe you take a day when you first get back to just catch up. I mean, 
Right. It, it may sound like, oh, I don't have time to do that. I have everything. Well, maybe you need to take that because in the mm-hmm. long run, it's going to save you a lot of time. And and all of you sort of mentioned, you know, maybe you're working a little extra, a little earlier in the morning, a little later at night, what you can do to catch up. But I think it, as long as you have it mapped out a little bit, here's where I have time to, to do some work on my phone. Here's where I have time to make some phone calls. As long as you're setting it up that way, I think you're going to set yourself up for success in that perspective. Uh, otherwise, I think you get back and it's like you're sort of recovering from that conference and you're looking to catch up and people still are coming at you every day. Uh, so th- th- to me, that would be my biggest point of advice is just map it out, map out exactly. Yeah. Things might mm-hmm. change, but at least you have that game plan you can go off of. Another point that I want to make too that I experienced was I had gone with a different agenda. I was attending sessions. I was also learning. But then after the event, I had work that I actually needed to do that complemented why I was at the uh, the conference. And um, we would have dinner plans. So for the week, I would attend you know the dinner plans. Mm-hmm. But that last day, I was just so overloaded. I said, I can't. As much as I would love to go to dinner, I just honestly can't because I really, really need to focus mm-hmm. on getting these done. And I think that that's okay, too. I think you oh, have yeah. to, Absolutely. you know, participate in the uh, team events at the, um, you know, that are going on after hours and whatnot. But it's also okay to go ahead and say, you know what, I've got a lot going on and I just want to head back to my hotel room and get some things taken up. But it's just you have to balance it. It's kind of a fine line. Yeah, I mean, by the end of that conference, um, I know I was just feeling exhausted from the days. You're just like out of your element. I actually was like, you know, (laughs) I feel bad saying it. I was like ready to come home on Wednesday night. (laughs) Oh, I know. You know, I wanted to get back into the routine, (laughs) back into the office. But I have to say that having um, smartphones, which I'm new to, just a few months, (laughs) um, that really did help. stay connected. And I have to admit, I was, I did have it sitting out there on the table, keeping, keeping current. Because unfortunately, we had run into system problems back in the office. So we had a, you have to do what you had a little nuance there Mm -hmm. that everyone hopes they don't have to (laughs) deal with. So, okay. So uh, great discussion. So let's keep the ball rolling, and Tim is going to lead us in our next topic on how to stay focused. Sure, yeah. You know, you see a lot of stuff about productivity in the workplace and, you know, issues with engagement and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I think sometimes it comes down to just those distractions. And it, you know, it's in, in every office. I've worked in, you know, the media side of things where it's loud and people are running around. And so you sort of get used to working in that environment. But I think a lot of individuals aren't they're just not in that element a lot of times. So you're trying to learn, okay, maybe someone next to you in the cubicle is a little more chatty or uh, maybe it's just loud for, for another reason. Maybe there are phone calls being made and just finding ways to, to focus. And um, some of the things I've seen that I've utilized, people who have gone by my cubicles, I have my headphones on quite a bit, you know, listening to podcasts and whether it be ours or try to learn from other ones. Um, but I just want to get maybe some of your ideas as well as how do you really kind of block out the rest of what's going on? Do you politely let people know, hey, I, I have some work to do. Can we talk about this later? I mean, where is sort of that balance of etiquette versus being polite and, and but still wanting to get your work done? Because it can be distracting at, at times. I think one thing that I've done is basically said, you know, I'm in a power hour. I have to get this assignment done. Please don't disturb me. And you're right. You're going to get those people that still come up to you. So another thing that I've done is I'll either put a sign on my door Mm -hmm. that says, Mm -hmm. you know, I have these 60 minutes that I need to get XYZ done. Don't do it. If you're in a cubicle, 
and you don't have a door per se, I used to put it on the back of my chair. I need these 60 minutes to get this project done. And people just have to respect it um, because they all know what deadlines are. And then also what I would do is just put my instant message on do not disturb. Because then even if they try to disturb you, it bounces back. And, well, that's a big thing. I actually did a show a while ago about that, the, just turning off your alarms, turning off your, your alerts, that sort of thing. That It's amazing. They said they've done studies even having a phone on the table, like a cell phone, makes everyone around a little anxious because they're just expecting a call, expecting that alert. So I, it's interesting you brought that Well, up. I know in our sales department, too, when they have power hours, they have to shut even email down hmm. because there's that constant um, thought, like you said, even if it's in your subconscious, to check your email. Right. And then you yeah. get distracted. Yeah. I think you're always going to have that one person because I've always been in an office. I've never had to work in a cubicle, so I don't know how that feels. But when I'm, I generally leave the door open no matter where I've been. And so people know that when I close the door that I'm really busy doing something and they'll respect that. But you're always going to have those people that will barge in anyway and think that, you know, even if you're on the phone. And yes. think that, you know, they're going to try to you know, talk with their hands or try to get you to understand what they're saying. And, you know, it's really, really super important that they talk to you that minute, you know, even when you're on the phone. And I I don't know, it's hard because when you're in an office and and you really get friendly with your coworkers, it's like family. And I think you're you're always free to bust in on family. Yeah, we want to step in. (laughs) I know, I know. See if you're serving some beverages. And I'm not talking about anybody in this room, just so (laughs) we're clear. (laughs) I've actually seen people on the phone chatting and someone will come over, stand over them and wait for them to get off the phone, which is incredibly rude. Yeah. Right. Well, it's interesting, too, in our work environment now because we've got our phone is through our our internet. Mm -hmm. And so now people have headphones on a lot Mm -hmm. because they're either talking on the phone or they're listening to podcasts. And I know that happened to me the other day. I had headphones on, which I normally don't, and someone comes in and starts talking to me. Luckily, I, I was listening to a podcast that I could pause, but um, I've run into where I'm listening to live webinars. You know, I got the headphones mm-hmm. on, and I'm like, but I have spent uh, the better part of my life sitting in a cubicle, and I've learned to um, just kind of block out the sound. And sometimes, you know, I I can I can be the chatty person that Tim probably hears. <laughs> um, Tim, are you talking about Lynn? <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I enjoy <clears throat> I enjoy when Lynn, Lynn swings by. My, but a lot of times my, I have my headphones on. I'm like, what? Oh, okay. Sorry. My voice carries. But I know when to, I've learned to block out the sound around me. And sometimes people will be talking to me and I'm like totally in my zone. Um, I tend to like to work in the quiet. I have never been one to listen with headphones on. So mm-hmm. I'll sometimes, I'll sit with my my hands around my face, plugging my ears, um, which that throws people off too. I thought you were sad that day. <laughs> they stand next to me talking, and they can't figure out why I'm not paying attention to them because I literally have my have my ears plugged. But uh, I mean, it's just a balance. Yeah, no, that was a suggestion of things I've seen of, of getting those small earplugs, and you know, hopefully your coworkers get the hint that I need to concentrate right now. I'm trying to block it out and. You know, I've I've just gotten up and taken a little stroll around the office, or just taken a few minutes oh. just to just to mm-hmm. sort of decompress a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah, I it, it, like you said, Lynn, it's a balance to figure out what works best for you and your coworkers. So, and if you are that person that's constantly interrupting, pay attention to the body language of the mm. person that you're interrupting because yeah. they will give off cues, maybe not direct eye contact. You're very good at that, Jacqueline. Maybe not. <laughs> ma- Do you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> like, right there. 
<laughs> right there. Everyone in this room yeah. saw it. Uh-oh. She's oh, very good. good with the eyes. With the eyes. <laughs> uh, That's moving on. something good to keep in mind. Tim, feel free to IM me when I'm my voice is bothering no, me. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> okay, so we're going to move on. Some recent events actually got me thinking about jobs that have access to confidential uh, data. Employees can actually get fired for breaching uh, company policies of accessing and disclosing private information. From Edward Snowden, most recently from Booz Allen Hamilton for leaking secrets of uh, U.S. government surveillance programs. To medical personnel at Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, where medical records were inappropriately accessed around the time that Kim Kardashian gave birth. <laughs> Go figure. Breaking news. <laughs> I actually had a job uh, with access to uh, insurance data. And it was really hammered into us that, you know, don't access the the data um, unless you need to. And there's a computer record around it. So I heard the rumors, you know, like, you know, like famous people had insurance policies with Mm -hmm. the company. But I was not even going to (laughs) go down that path. I figured don't access it. I don't need it. I don't need to know. So what are your thoughts about this policy? I think it's a policy that's needed because there's private information about people that mm-hmm. needs to be kept private. Specifically the, you know, the health area, I would say there's people yeah. that have different diseases that maybe their family members don't know. Right. Even as a nurse, you might get the results of their tests and not be able to talk about them in front of their family members. You have to ask them to leave. Um, So there's things that you, I mean, you just have to respect someone's privacy, and there's these things in place for a particular reason. And I think that if you're going to be in in a profession that is taking on that responsibility, then you have to respect it. And if you don't, then you risk the chance of getting fired. I think that is the amazing thing, though, is how much we – you sort of just have to trust people. I mean, you have to trust that you're hiring employees that are going to follow those those guidelines, especially when you're talking about very sensitive information. And I just had a show recently with uh, what's considered an ethical hacker, someone who is trying to help a companies, you know, with their security systems. And, and you know, he said that's the biggest thing. Once that's broken, like if your company breaks that, nobody's ever going to work with you again because there's so much of that sensitive information that financially, you know, just corrupting the systems, that sort of thing. So, but he said he he's worried about, Americans essentially, and that we're so open with stuff and we're so willing to sort of pass along information, be like, oh, yeah, yeah, check this out, and opening the doors to all oh, this info. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's one of those things, obviously, we all hope and, and pray and, and believe that everyone's going to be doing the right thing, but it's also in the back of my mind, always a little like, are we sure we can trust these individuals? Like, I think mm-hmm. so. It's definitely on the management to make those proper decisions on who they're bringing in when it comes to the confidential information. Yeah, it's a tough road to hoe because I've had positions where I've done, you know, I worked in healthcare and government and I used to do a lot of drug testing. And I live in a small town or used to live in a small town and everybody knew everybody. So we would hire people. They would be like, you know, sons maybe of a friend of mine. And I had one where he didn't pass the drug test. And the mom kept calling me and saying, well, you know, and and I'm like, well, (laughs) you have to talk to your son because, (laughs) you know, I I couldn't tell her that 
you know, he'd been smoking weed or something like that. But, <laughs> I mean, or it appeared, you know. Right, <laughs> I didn't yeah. see him do it, but, you know. So, but there's that temptation and people put pressure on you. And, you know, like that Cedar sinai one that you referenced, Lynn, it's like, you know, people are probably waving money in your face. But nowadays, I know they can track who's got access to that so they can tell right. maybe who, who it is that leaked the information right away. But there's a lot of temptation out there, and some people, uh, that's, that's tough to turn that away. My sister works at a hospital in Tucson, Arizona, where Gabby Giffords went oh. after her accident. And some people had accessed her files who were not on that particular case, and oh. they got canned. Oh, I mean, wow. you can't do that. Right. I mean, you just have to stop and ask yourself, is this worth it mm-hmm. to go against the company policy? And I don't think it is. And, you know, it's it's made a lot easier now. And, with again, we talk about the smartphones and the idea of just taking a quick picture. I mean, you get a quick snapshot of a file or of a person, you know, maybe in a compromising situation or and maybe they're at the hospital for some reason. Uh, everyone wants to be that, you know, a little bit of an investigative paparazzi and, and get a little money out of it. And that's the unfortunate part is is that as, as you know, Lynn, you mentioned, you a know, little bit of money involved, and all of a mm-hmm. sudden, people kind of, I don't know, they get a little out of their out of their element a little bit. So, so they know. say, curiosity kills the cat. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> and get you fired. That's right. <laughs> okay, so all right, people, please note. All right, so to close out the quad today, Laura has an interesting question to ask us. I do have an interesting question to ask. Is cheerfulness holding you back at work? I came across an interesting article because the the title, of course, caught my eye, cheerfulness. I'm not, I'm not known as a very cheerful person, I don't think. I, I mean, am, I think I'm, Tim is very <laughs> yeah, cheerful very. all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, I like to have fun and joke around, but, you know, I'm not what you'd call a bubbly personality. <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay. Maybe you disagree with that, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're wrong. But there was a study, and it showed that one way for women to combat that stereotype of, you know, not getting leader positions, you know, because they're not capable, was to be less cheerful and just take more pride in their work and be more serious. Um, and I, I don't know if I necessarily agreed with it. I mean, I do think that there's, you know, bubbly, really bubbly personalities sometimes don't mesh with everyone. You know, we do have some here at work. But I thought it was interesting because, you know, of course, men. I don't, I don't know. I've never really <laughs> seen a real cheerful man. <laughs> I can't think of any. Here comes the sexism. Oh, no, no, no. I'm just, <laughs> you know, do you think that, you know, are we not taking enough pride in our work? Are we too cheerful? Is that a possibility of why that, you know, more women aren't in leadership positions? You know, I found it interesting because when I was thinking about it, I think cheerful, we each have our own definition of it. Mm-hmm. So I find it interesting that you don't think, you wouldn't call yourself like cheerful. Do you think I'm cheerful? Yeah. Really? I think you are. I think you're a cheerful person in like in a meeting, you know, everyone. Uh-huh. I mean, I think we all have our moments as to when we're serious right. and, um, you know, when when we're more friendly or something. I think, well, I know Tim has accused me of being nice. <laughs> no, you're overly nice, which is not a bad trait. I'm not saying that at all. But you know, you bring up the point of the you know, it doesn't seem like a, men are necessarily cheerful, and I, unfortunately, I think it's just the stereotypes that have gone back how many years, and it's it's just breaking that down. And you know, I don't know what the answer is to it, and I I wouldn't say just because you're cheerful you can't be a leader or anything like that. But 
I think it's just unfortunate and scripted in a lot of people's minds of those stereotypes mm-hmm. of, okay, if, if you do this as a female, this is what you're considered. If you do it as a male, it might be a positive thing. If you do it as a female, it's, it's a negative for whatever reason. I don't think we're going to go that deep with it. But um, you hear that with if a guy's stern and sort of in your face about something, oh, he's he's intimidating and he's he's strong. And a woman might be considered a derogatory term for being She's the same right, way. Yeah. I'm not going to go there. You guys all know what I'm talking <laughs> I know. about. Yeah, we, I was we wondering know. if we anyone know. was going to try. But I, but I think that does exist. And, and you, you hope there's a little bit of change with that. Um, and I don't know. You know, I don't have the answer. Don't don't get me wrong. I don't have any answer with that. But I, I think it's it's more rooted in those stereotypes, unfortunately. And it's, it's right. just a process of, you know, United States as a whole is young compared to the rest of the world, but I also feel we've been very progressive and quickly trying to change those things. So hopefully that's where we're getting at. But um, I think that's where it falls into more than the personality. It's just more of the stereotypes, unfortunately. This article reminded me of the training class that we took, communication style. And I really think that it comes down to different styles people have. Mm -hmm. I think to Lynn's point, there's times that that we're excited about something and we're happy. But then I also think that there are, are people who are natural cheerleaders, if you will. I can think of some Uh, right now on the top of my head who are cheerleaders in our organization. Not my style. Right. To me, I find it to be a bit annoying. However, that's that particular person's style. They wear their heart on their sleeve and that's how they communicate. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's what I think that this is getting at. With the same breath, I'm also in the process of reading that book, Lean In. And I'm wondering if the author of this article read that book because there's a lot of parallels with the thought that Tim just mentioned, which is um, when women are nice or when women are successful, other women don't like it and they'll take them down. When men are nice and men are successful, it's to be seen as something attractive and powerful and prideful. So I've literally just started reading it on the on the conference on the way back from oh. the conference since I just had so much time at the airport. Yeah, <laughs> um, and- <laughs> I think it took her five hours to get. Two, two hours away if she was driving. <laughs> right. So, uh, so yeah, I was, you know, on the plane, and I was like, well, I'll, I'll read something. And uh, I've, I've only gotten in the first chapter, I think it is, so I'm not mm-hmm. too deep into it. But I just thought it was interesting that that's probably pretty accurate. I think you're right, though. I think we do tend to be harder on women than we do on men. Women yeah. tend to be harder women on yes. women. To, yes, we yes. as women, sorry, Tim, yeah. tend to be much harder. We as women, no. <laughs> <laughs> but we do. We we look at other people who are not quite like ourselves, and maybe they're getting further. And, you know, we pick apart. We pick away at them and, you know, oh, they're not a nice person. You know, you know, we're still taught to be nice yeah. and not to stand out and blend in with the crowd. And yet when one of us, you know— reaches higher heights, then we're like, oh, you know, yeah, it's look interesting. at that person there, you know, we, we kind of tend to tear them apart a little bit. Yeah. I think it's natural. I have no idea what the answer is there, but <laughs> I, I know it happens. It does. It does. And it's, I don't know what the answer is either. It's interesting. I've worked with some really charismatic, uh, or worked for, <laughs> not with, <laughs> uh, charismatic men in the past. And Every, they were like the life of the party oh, when yeah. things were going good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone was attracted to them. But I'll tell you, boy, when things weren't going good, <laughs> it was then the opposite where, oh, my gosh, the hammer really came down. I remember mm-hmm. sitting in a conference room. He was just slamming his fist on the table. And I'm just sitting there closed mouth, <laughs> wide eyed, <laughs> going, oh, my goodness. 
Um, He's very passionate on both ends. Right. Yeah, he was. <laughs> but now, I mean, what would your take have been if, if it was a female leader doing that same thing and pounding the desk? And, and I mean, would you have had a different thought, honestly? I mean, I guess it might depend yeah. on who that individual was. But would that? Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. And that's and I think that's what we're sort mm-hmm. of getting at is, mm-hmm. is trying to somehow split that barrier. I'm not sure. Although yeah. I would have kept my mouth closed. Then <laughs> yeah. Too. yeah. <laughs> I've worked a lot for both men and for women. And I find that my preference is to work with men because I take the criticism better from <laughs> men than I do from women. I don't know why. I just, it's, I don't know if it's something that, you know, I was born with and, you know, the social norms and all that, but it's just somehow easier. And it shouldn't be. Yeah. You know, because basically it's the same, but. It's, I just have found it easier to work for men than women. And so I guess the moral is, you know, if a woman is moving forward and being successful, we should support her. And cheerly right, yeah. for her, yes. <laughs> and I find you all cheerful in your own ways. Thank you. Yeah. As, you well as well as. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, on that cheerful note, our time together is over. If you would like to suggest topics for discussion on the LGN Radio Quad, send a message to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Tell us your thoughts on how to keep focused despite distractions that surround you in the workplace. For Jacqueline Peterson, Tim Muma, and Laura McBain, I'm Lynn Molitor. Thanks for listening. 